0: Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 22. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who've been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready, come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, "'The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet.' Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests.' But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe, and he said to him, "'Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe?' And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, "'Bind him hand and foot, and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen.'" The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. A lot of times, the parables Jesus told, he told so that something that was difficult to understand became more understandable. But once in a while, these stories, these parables that Jesus told were themselves Hard to understand, which happens to be the case in case you haven't figured this out yet, with today's parable, which many regard as the hardest parable to understand that Jesus ever told, especially if you happen to believe, as I do, that the very clearest thing Jesus came to make understandable about God is that God is a God of grace, which means that grace being getting good things that you don't deserve, because in this parable, Uh, there are people who get exactly what they deserve, and they get it from the king in the parable, whom Jesus says may be compared to the king of the kingdom of heaven, which is to say God. (laughs) It does help to realize that um, in Matthew's gospel text this week, it continues from where we've been along the last few weeks, which means this is a string of parables that Jesus is telling in the context of an of an extended and hostile conversation just a few days before he's going to be killed on the cross, a hostile and extended conversation between Jesus and the religious leaders of the people of Israel who knew themselves to be the chosen people of God to whom God would one day send... A Messiah, a Christ, who would save not just the chosen people of God, but, but would save the whole world. But when Jesus came as the Savior of the world, he was not welcomed. He was opposed by the religious leaders of the people because, well, because among other things, he wasn't as religious as they thought he should be. He ignored many of their religious rules and traditions, plus he had this aggravating tendency to hang around with people who just plain weren't religious at all. Jesus acted like love was actually more important than a lot of their religious rules and traditions. One time he even told the people he was hanging around with to beware of the religious rules and traditions of their leaders. For many of their rules, he said, are rules they in many cases have just made up in order to make believe and make others believe that they are much better, they are so much godlier, they are so much worthier than you are. So it's to these religious leaders with this whole group of people listening in that Jesus told this parable of a king who was making a plan for the party, the wedding party of his son. And as part of his plans, early on, the king had his staff send out notices that there was a party in the works, though this, there, this wasn't yet an official save-the-date notices. This is one of those you send out even before the date is announced. Just be ready, the, the notice said, because there's a party coming and the king wants you there. So I think of these, um, there's a party coming poster cards Um, but we don't know the date yet. I think of those, when I think of, for example, that some of the Old Testament prophets, like that passage Lars read a moment ago, where the prophet Isaiah says, on this mountain, and the mountain he's talking about is the mountain of the Lord in Jerusalem, upon which stands the temple of the Lord, on this mountain. Isaiah the prophet said the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food and well-aged wines and he will swallow up death forever and he will wipe away the tears from all faces. This is a party you're not going to want to miss, right? The date just hasn't been announced yet. Except in this parable, Jesus says that when a date is set and now the invitations are sent, the king only gets a few replies, all of which are from people who are saying, I can't squeeze your party into my very busy and important life, which is insulting beyond insulting, given the fact that this is the king they're talking to, for crying out loud, but the king doesn't focus on the insult of those who've RSVP'd their regrets. Instead, thinking that maybe everybody else who didn't reply, I mean, maybe the invitation got lost in a stack of junk mail or, you know, in that, all that stuff in their email inbox, and so he has more invitations sent out, even hand-delivered. These invitations have the menu printed on them, and it's a great-looking meal. But the response this time? Injury is added to insult, as all of the king's slaves are ridiculed, Many are beaten up, some are killed. Jesus here is no doubt alluding to the many prophets in the Old Testament whom the Bible does say were over and over again rejected and ignored and mocked and in some cases killed for inviting people to come and live their lives according to the desires of God their king. With the murder of his servants, Jesus says, the king then does what he by all rights could have done a long time ago. He sends his troops violently to put down this violent rebellion, and they do so, destroying those ungrateful and unfaithful murderers and burning their city to the ground. Forty years after Jesus would have told this parable, the Roman army attacked Jerusalem and burned and destroyed the temple to the ground. It's never been rebuilt. If you've been there, you know that all that remains is the Western Wall. Some see, in Jesus' words, a 40-year ahead of time allusion to that event, and that that could be, although we do have to remember this is a parable, and so being overly literal about this stands for that and that stands for this is sometimes a tiny bit iffy. What's not iffy is the point that the parable has by now made, and that is that God is patient, way patient, almost absurdly patient, but that doesn't apparently mean that God is patient without end. Righteousness will eventually demand justice. And justice will demand consequences. And those consequences, because they are just, will be consequences that are every bit deserved. Back to the story. After imposing drastic but completely deserved consequences upon those who would rejected him and his invitation, the king in the party... And the parable still has a party that he has prepared and wants to throw. But with nobody from the initial guest list coming, he decides to invite everybody. So, says Matthew, he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. And so the slaves went out to the streets and they gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. And here's where this parable with so much judgment in it, people getting exactly what they deserve, reveals itself also to be a parable with absolutely amazing grace in it as the king's slaves invite now to the party not the deserving but all whom they could find, both good and bad. Which leads to something else I think is clear in this parable and that is that, yes, Jesus says, and he he says it here, he says it elsewhere, There will be judgment upon sin and sinners, but but you and I are not the judges. For any judging that does take place in this story is judging done by the king, only by the king. His slaves, on the other hand, are given only one task, invite others, invite every darn buddy you can find to come to the party. Which the king in the parable's slaves do, and the wedding hall is filled with guests. At which point we come to that troubling and really, frankly, weird end to this parable where Jesus says, But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe, and he said to him, friend, and by the way, friend isn't always a good thing in, in Jesus' stories about kings. Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless, and the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Some interpret this harsh ending to the parable by saying that in the traditions of those days, it would have been the king himself who would have supplied robes to their guests for their party. And so... This unnamed somebody is either someone who snuck in through a back door where there weren't robes being handed out or someone who came in through the front door but said no thank you when offered a robe, preferring to wear his own fine clothes. In that take, this gatecrasher represents someone who wants to find his way to God based on his own righteousness rather than repenting of his sin and being clothed In the righteousness of Jesus, only to discover that without Jesus, his suit of self-righteousness is a moth-eaten and flea-infested suit of rags and an insult to the king. I like that interpretation. It's very Lutheran. I couldn't find enough scholars that I respect who told me that we know enough about wedding practices in the first century to say with any certainty that that's what Jesus is saying here. It's consistent with some things I believe Jesus says, but I couldn't find enough um, support for saying that that's the reason for this, you know, this robeless schmuck at the end of the story who gets thrown out of the party into the outer darkness for being not properly robed for the party. You are welcome to go with that interpretation if you'd like. A more common direction the uh, scholars I read go is to remember that the whole conversation of this party has been this confrontation with religious leaders who, Jesus had said, were all about appearances that made them look good. But when it came to doing things in the world, which in the eyes of God were genuinely good, like helping those who needed help or standing up for things that really needed to be stood up for, these guys were really good at standing down and looking the other way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, arguably the greatest Lutheran theologian of the 20th century, was executed hung in one of Hitler's camps for his opposition to Hitler. As a great Lutheran theologian, Bonhoeffer was a champion of grace, the core belief that we are not saved as a deserved reward for what we do, but rather as an absolutely undeserved gift, no matter what we've done. But that said, Bonhoeffer was sharply critical of the official branch of the German Lutheran Church in the 1930s and 40s, which watched Hitler come and do all that he did and didn't do anything about it. Being saved by the grace of God, but then not doing anything in the world to stand up for and live for the desires of God, Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. We are saved by grace through faith, of course, Bonifer said, but faith is only real when there is obedience never without it and faith in fact he said only becomes faith in the act of obedience many scholars whom i do respect and read this week suggest that the man of the parable who was thrown out of the party for not wearing a proper robe for the party represents those who want to party with the king but have no interest in obedience living their lives according to the desires of the king Which takes us to something that Christians who think about things have struggled with and argued about and never really resolved in a uh, one plus one equals two kind of way. What I'm talking about is how to put together two things that the Bible does say, but they don't seem entirely to fit together, to add up. The first clear thing the Bible says, you are not saved or loved or welcomed one day into heaven because of anything you've done. You are saved by grace as pure and undeserved gift, by faith in Jesus and all that he has done for you, no matter what you've done, no matter what you ever will do, no matter what you ever could do. But the second thing the Bible clearly says, it still matters what you do. Which doesn't add up, right? Which kind of works for me. I'm of the mind that when we mere humans are contemplating God, sometimes we have to leave a few things in the camp of it doesn't add up because neither our brains nor our math are big enough to comprehend or even come up with the algorithms that are involved in all of that. Which is why today I'm going to close by telling you two more things that may or may not add up, and then we're going to just going to let the math chips fall where they may, okay? Engineers, I apologize in advance. The first thing, the end of the parable and the man who's thrown out for not wearing a robe to the party, I I think that is meant to warn us against cheap grace. Loving the free gifts of Jesus and saying with our words, I believe in Jesus, but saying with our deeds, well, not a blessed thing that resembles Jesus. That's not how it's meant to be. St. Paul in Colossians says it this way, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and above all, love. In other words, saved by grace and welcomed to the party, we nevertheless are called by God to dress for the party, which is the here and now party of the purposes of God and the desires of God happening in us, in the world, starting here and starting now and going with us as we leave here. And the second thing, when you get to the after party, heaven, the wedding party that will never end, if you see two lines... One leading to a door with a sign that says, Oh, righteous one, come and tell me how good you are. And another line to a door with a sign that says, Sinner, come meet your judge. Don't dry clean the robe of your personally achieved self-righteousness and strut up to door number one. Go to the other one go to door number two because you do have a judge but the judge is Jesus who made his final judgment not on a throne or in a parable but on a cross where disrobed and cast out into the outer darkness himself he judged sinners so loved that they are worth dying for. Yes, we are called by God to come to his party in this life by living our lives robed in his love for others, but entrance to the after party is for those who are honest enough to boast not of the filthy rags of our own alleged obedience and lukewarm love and fake sinlessness, but boast rather Sing forever praises of the beautifully grace-stitched robe of Jesus' obedience and real love and real mercy for real sinners who really are invited to the party which I believe is what St. John kind of has a glimpse of when in the book of Revelation, given a vision of the great and final wedding banquet, which will be heaven's party, what he says he saw is that all who are there are clothed in robes. But their robes are not the robes of their own righteous perfection, but are rather robes that have been washed perfectly clean in the blood of the Lamb and his perfect love for imperfect people. And John, and he says they're singing there. And I maybe imagine maybe one thing they're singing is you prepare a table before me and my cup is running over Amen.